And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. High in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode number 187 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. And Andy, this is a dumb one. But who is, which batter is ranked 187th all time in war? And this is New York and San Francisco for the Giants. 187th. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I could think about this, but I'm not sure it's going to help. Uh, Pedro Feliz. Yeah, you know, it's more just it, I was just sort of curious what you thought that would be in a, a, a franchise that had more than a century's worth of history. Like, where do you think the 187th player lands? Is it like a scrub? Is it someone who got a lot of playing time? No, all I can think of is Snoop Dogg do- lyrics when murder is the case that they gave me when I hear it. <gasps> I almost made a reference, but there would be too. I don't know. It's just It just felt a little off, a little weird. But 187. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. it is. It is police code. It is police code for uh, for malfeasance. So. Uh, it's Nate Sherholtz. Oh, okay. Well, you know, yeah, Nate Sherholtz. Hey, good giant. Uh, he was a good giant. Yeah, good, good, arm, good arm in right field. Had some malfeasance of his own late in his career, but uh, um, yeah, Nate Sherholtz. Boy, that's a name I haven't thought of in a while. <laughs> Point one more over Glen Allen Hill, and that's someone as a Cubs fan growing up and a Giants fan growing up. Uh, we can uh, come and shake hands like that meme. Ooh, I actually covered Glen Allen Hill when he was with the Angels briefly, and. Hmm. And he, um, yeah, back then they had something called thermofusion that everybody was taking. And it was like this purple, super concentrated gel. And it was full of ephedra, <laughs> which was legal at the time. Um, but, you know, basically it was like, you know, their their version of speed that they took. And, and, and you were only supposed to put like two drops on your tongue. And I remember um, I tried it once and we're in Baltimore and, you know, I was going to run laps around the football stadium and the baseball stadium. And I felt like I was just like, you know, I, I wasn't even, my legs weren't even moving. I was just, I was just hauling and I had all this energy and it was kind of scary in retrospect. And what I remember about Glenn Allen Hill is that you're only supposed to use like two or three drops. He would take this thing like a big squeezy bottle and just go. Oh my gosh. And I, I don't want to know how much he had in his system, but uh, he was ready to play. Glenn Allen Hill, ready to play. <laughs> Were you a Cubs fan when he hit that ball onto the rooftop across Waveland? Oh, yeah. And I, I love his swing because – and it, it really is kind of a progenitor to a lot of what they teach hitters now because it's almost like he's chopping wood. He didn't have a follow-through. He just he just made that huge connect and then he just stopped. And and uh, and and you hear people talk about hitting and, and where you want you know basically to, to go – uh, and and what you want to do with the bat and 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 how you don't necessarily need to follow through as much like you do in a golf swing and um, uh, 
uh, just get to that point of contact and put everything into that point of contact. And and boy, man, it, it, watching him hit, especially watching him take BP, uh, and I saw that in a couple parks where the ball really goes. Like I remember Arizona, he hit one to center field that was still probably the farthest ball I've ever seen anyone hit in in BP, and that includes like Madison Bumgarner and you know Mark McGuire and uh, and other people I've seen take BP. I, that was yeah, Glen Allen Hill, Arizona hit a BP ball that is still going. When you describe Glen Allen Hill's swing, it reminds me of Austin Slater because that's the Giants player I think of now who doesn't have that extended follow through. It, it's just you know it's just a real burst of like violent energy through the zone. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny to watch Austin Slater, you know, just warm up. He's, it's almost like he's trying to scoop the ball, you know, he's mm-hmm. got, uh, it's very much a, a launchy swing and, um, it's, it's served him really well. Uh, it probably hasn't served him as well this year with the ball, not traveling as far, but I mean, yeah, it, it really is kind of unique to just listen to hitting coaches and listening to players talk about hitting over the last you know two decades and it's it's just like fashion. Some things go out of style. Some things come back in style. Uh, some things get taught. Some things get rejected. Those things come back. Um, and you know, I guess that might be a nice segue into talking about Tommy Listella um, because I got to write a lot of geeky stuff about hitting uh, with after Listella hit a 464 foot home run the other day at Coors Field. So um, yeah, it's uh, it, it it there's more than one way to you know uh, to hit a double to the gap. Uh, but um, it, it's it's kind of fun just to hear hitting coaches and, and, and hitters uh, kind of, you know, have differing thoughts that have changed throughout the years. Yeah, and that is where I was going because I was I did not want to do the thing where we're doing a podcast and the most recent game was a loss. And then it's like, well, what's wrong with the Giants? No, no, because the Giants went into Coors Field. They took two of three. Uh, they, they had a really potent offense. Even in the game they lost, Logan Webb just absolutely, he pitched magnificently. Uh, so I want to talk about the good things. And we can start with Listella because the idea of him coming back, he was so much of a non-factor last year that it's easy to overlook him. And we talked about this last time. There should be reasons to be excited about the Lestella the Giants were expecting to get when they signed him to a three-year deal. But you, when you wrote about it, it's it's maybe the Giants can expect more. Maybe that that uh, home run where he hit the second deck and went 460-plus feet, both of his feet were off the ground. Uh, it was an impressive <laughs> home run. And like maybe that's a harbinger of good things to come. Yeah, it's funny. When I saw that side view of his swing, and he literally is putting all of his energy in his body and his his both feet are off the ground after he makes contact. It, it reminded me of like watching a, like a t-ball kid, you know, his swing. Um, <laughs> and, and and you think, well, how does a guy who is, you know, maybe Tommy Lestella is 5'8", maybe. Um, maybe he's 170 pounds. Uh, well, maybe he's more like 180. But how does a guy like that hit a ball 464 feet? Now, I know it's Coors Field, and he probably got an extra 25 feet out of it that way. But still, okay, you're talking about 440 feet or whatever. How, how does a guy hit a ball that far? And so I just went around the Giants clubhouse and, and asked, asked everybody, asked Brandon Belt, asked Kurt Casale. I looked for Darren Ruff. I couldn't find him. Asked Brandon Crawford. And, and basically, it comes down to technique. And uh, if you have perfect technique, it's not unlike watching some of these Guys who are five foot seven PGA golfers and they're bombing it three hundred and thirty yards, you know, off the tee. You know, if you just hit it absolutely square and flush, and you can backspin it, uh, then a ball will still travel, even even a ball that's a, a ball that's struck at the same uh, launch angle, the same exit velocity. If it's if it's backspun with the right rate of spin, uh, it's going to carry 
uh, farther and um, and maybe counteract some of what we've been seeing. And so, you know, yeah, backspin is, is kind of recession proof, I guess you could say. <laughs> and you can't really train to hit backspin. I, I used to hear hitting coaches say you want like um, – uh, a downward approach angle as you make contact because you want to almost like hit the bottom half of the ball with your back going down. That's how you create backspin, which is in retrospect, a ridiculous thing to say because you have to be absolutely perfect to make that happen. If you're off by one millimeter, either way, you're hitting a ground ball or you're popping it up. So, you know, they don't really teach that anymore, but you know, Tommy Listello has got such a true bat path and uh, he's so, so good at, at hitting and so good at working counts. He said, you know what? I want to try to get better in another area, and um, I've been comfortable hitting, you know, with maybe not my top bat speed um, uh, for the last couple of years, and I want to see if I can improve that. So we went to driveline, and <laughs> he improved it. I am five foot eight, one hundred and seventy pounds, and I can only hit the ball like four hundred and forty feet. Oh, so really? Okay. It's really impressive to me that he gets those uh, 20 extra feet, right? Well, we'll have to just like go to Bolivia <laughs> or something and play a game at like 14,000 feet or something like that. Then maybe you can pop one that far. It was an impressive home run. It's it, the idea of him coming back and he was doing really, really well in Sacramento. Uh, so he's obviously seeing the ball well. And Evan Longoria not doing as well. Uh, he, he's still scuffling in his first 20 odd plate appearances. But the idea that uh, the Giants have the full squad back is there an excitement in the clubhouse? Are they talking about it? Is it this feeling of we've not only weathered the storm, but we've kind of come out uh, ahead maybe because we have a winning record? Yeah, Kirk Casale said uh, it feels like we have our full squad back. So I think that means that, yes, in the clubhouse, there is a thought that they have their full squad back. Um, <laughs> and, and, and yeah, you, you get that sense that, that they are, are feeling really, really confident. And, you know, Brandon Belt, I thought, said it best. It's like, you know, we've been winning by paper cutting teams to death and we haven't been winning by driving the ball. But that's coming, uh, you know, that, and, you know, we fully believe that that's coming. It's coming from multiple sources and, uh, and yeah, it, it, it is super impressive to, and I know you've written about it. I've written about it. Just looking at some of the ways that this offense has worked, why they're second in the major leagues and runs scored when they don't seem like they should be, um, in a lot of respects. So, um, yeah, it's, I think those are all pretty good signs that the, the giants are, are certainly capable of, of scoring even more than they have. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. Hey Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get direct TV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is you can stream direct TV over the internet now. Oh sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream Direct TV without a satellite dish. Call 1 800 Direct TV. Terms or restrictions apply. Yeah, I remember in, uh, I think it was 2013, uh, David Lee of the Warriors said, Hey, we got our full squad coming back, full squad. And it was kind of uh, funny to a certain segment of Warriors nerds. I actually have a t shirt from Warriors World that has hashtag full squad. Uh, but he was he was right. The Warriors got a little bit better after 2013. And when they had their full squad, uh, they were suddenly a really, really fun team to watch. And it's been easy to overlook because the Giants are so good at plugging holes where, OK, Lamont Wade Jr., he's not in the lineup. Here's Luis Gonzalez. Oh, and he's going to hit three something with with power and speed. And uh, Evan Longoria isn't in the lineup. Well, you know, here's Jason Vossler for a bit. And if it's not Vossler, it's Luke Williams. They're going to have timely hits. And so it's easy to overlook just how important the Giants think that Longoria and Wade and Lastella were to the construction of this roster. 
But that was it's always the plan to have these guys, even if they're not around for five, six hundred at bats. This these are the guys the Giants thought they were coming into the season with. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, the other the other point that I think is maybe obvious, but should be made is that you never have your full squad for long. Someone else is going to get hurt. Someone else is going to go down. But, you know, and there are some teams where if you have your full squad, you better win a lot during that time, Mm. during that window. You better take advantage of it. And I don't know if that's as true for the Giants because they have depth. You know, they can, they they can you know withstand uh, another, whoever gets injured next and plug somebody else in. I mean, there are very few people on this team that you would consider just like really irreplaceable. Um, so I mean that that allows them to weather those times when they don't have their full squad. But you know, still you'd still like to take advantage of of. Uh, and win as many games as possible when when you do have sort of everybody uh, at your disposal and everybody ready to go. Yeah, I am writing for Friday a comparison of the 2022 season and the 2021 season through X number of games, just because the records are so similar, but mostly because I'm fascinated with this year's team, where you have a, a group of players, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, six players who are regulars in the starting lineup who have an adjusted OPS between 93 and 115. And what that means is it's basically from a little bit below average to a little bit above average. And they don't have one guy going bananas. They don't have Eric Hosmer hitting 400, wherever the heck he's doing in San Diego. They don't have that guy who's just leading the charge. It's a bunch of guys who, even if they're struggling and Brandon Crawford's struggling, Joey Bart is struggling, they're still close to the league average of, of production. And it's one through nine, basically, in every lineup. You don't have a guy who's... Just in the dumps right now, you don't have a guy who's carrying the team. It's just it, it might even be a more well-rounded team than last year, which is scary, at least you know when you compare them. Yeah, and, and maybe this is a good time. I, I can actually hear our listeners crinkling their brows as you say that because <laughs> they're thinking, well, "Joey Bart's not struggling. Come on, the dude's right, struggling." Right. I mean, they probably they probably lost they probably lost Wednesday's game because of Joey Bart. I hate to say that because you never pin a loss on one person. It's a team game, you know. Uh, it, but. But they, boy, his strikeouts just really stopped rallies, and and the Giants they were had a bad, chance to poorly they, timed. They were really poorly timed, and they and they were just bad strikeouts too. I mean, he's swinging at pitches out of the zone. He's taking pitches in the zone. It was they were just. Bad. It looked like he didn't have a clue up there, and and I I don't say that to be cruel at all. It's a really hard game. You know, it's really hard for young players to introduce themselves this year. Look at what Spencer Torkelson is doing. Look at what Julio Rodriguez is doing. They're both on my fantasy team. Um, <laughs> uh, Joey Bart's also my backup catcher. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's it's. I was talking with someone the other day uh, in the Giants front office about just how many, how tough this game is for young players this season, and 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 that's not uh, maybe it's not a fluke, but. But, you know, they really stopped uh, those rallies. Uh, Joey Bart strikeouts did, and, and they were really kind of damaging. And, and, you know, Tyro Estrada was hitting in front of him. It was on base four times. He doubled twice, drew a walk, and, and they only scored him three times. And I wrote all about Tyro Estrada's magic ability to, to score after he gets on base. So that didn't really help my angle of my story either. Um, see, it's all about me. It all comes back to me. Um but uh, but yeah, so you know it was a really really rough game for, for for Joey. But then you know as you've pointed out, you you look at everything in context and what everyone is getting out of the catching position this season. Uh, what he's doing with with dra- drawing the walks and and his on base percentage is obviously you know not as as bad as his average would make you think it is. Um, it, it's 
Overall, the production hasn't been as bad as you would think, but man, those strikeouts just have come at really, really bad times. They were rough strikeouts to watch, to be sure. And I don't want to come off as a Joey Bart apologist because I feel like I've been rough when I when I write like, oh, the Giants should get Sean Murphy and all that stuff. I just want, perspective is key here because Joey Bart's uh, OPS right now is 684. The league average OPS in all of baseball is 685 which means that Joey Bart is a league average hitter in 2022. Oh, and he's a catcher and a pretty sound defensive catcher at that. He's not necessarily the problem. It, the optics aren't great when he's taking a hanging slider down the middle for a called strike three with runners on, on base and in scoring position. But at the at the same time, he's not the way he's produced isn't the problem for the Giants. My concern is when I look at that strikeout rate, I'm wondering if he's... <laughs> Almost, uh, if it's almost an illusion, maybe he should be producing less. Like, I'm wondering if even that league average style of hitting is a mirage because he's just striking out so dang much. That's crazy when you say that basically Joey Bart is a league average hitter right now. I mean, that's that just tells you where the game is. That's just mm-hmm. insane because, you know, some of the strikeouts are just not, not competitive, you know. Um, so yeah, that's, he's got 12 walks and 84 plate appearances. He's got a 321 on base. Um, you know, when he gets on base, he's not a base clogger. He runs really well. Um, but yeah, you, you just, I just think we're, we're at a time in the game where, where, you know, productive outs are probably more important than they used to be. Um, you know, he had chances to just even advance Tyro Estrada a couple times where you think, gosh, is it, is it so bad that, it's worth him putting a bunt down here or something. I don't know if, if, if he even uh, practices uh, bunting, but uh, yeah, he probably hasn't sacrificed a whole lot in his uh, baseball living life. But yeah, it's it's uh, the strikeouts stop rallies, especially at a place like Coors Field. You know, when when you you got to keep people on the move and, and you got to keep uh, keep scoring as much as you can. And obviously, that game could have been a lot different if the Giants had done that. Now, the Giants are I don't know if they're leading the league. They're probably close to the top of the league in production from catchers overall. Uh, but that has more to do with Kirk Casale than Joey Bart. Is there a possibility of more playing time for Kirk Casale? He had that breakout game in Coors Field. Or is there, you know, he's 33 years old, so he's not he's not a mummy. But that's on the older side for a catcher. Do the Giants, are they worried about grinding him down? Or is there room for him to get more plate appearances, more starts? Oh, I think the answer is yes to everything. I think they're worried about grinding him down. And I think he will get more. <laughs> I think he will get more starts. Um, but, you know, I, I think we've probably framed this as, Bart was getting 60% of the playing time and Caselli was getting 40. And I wouldn't be surprised to see that turn into 50, 50 or, or even 60, 40 the other way. Um, you know, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's tough to watch and I I really don't know what recourse they have. You know, it's been kind of funny to, to go on the interwebs and see there's one Juan Soto rumor that gets, you know, put out there by, you know, somebody and and everyone is coming up with their trade scenarios and what would a trade look like to get Juan Soto <laughs> and I'm think I and I did it too you know I, I was going through okay here's here's who the Giants would have to give up they'd have to give up him they'd have to give up him and I got to Joey Bart and I thought hmm well the Nats aren't going to want him they've got Cabert Ruiz and and Joey Bart probably isn't helping his trade value right now so um but yeah it's it's uh it's not like you can say that Joey Bart is is going to go to the minors or he's going to get traded I mean I guess anything is possible but um, you know, they're going to have to ride this out with him. It looks like that's what they're prepared to do. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mm. 
That's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. I want to take half credit for in the offseason going, oh, well, the Giants, this is going to be an issue. And I think the Giants should consider looking into Jacob Stallings or they should continue or they should look into Sean Murphy. So I think of myself as galaxy brain for that. Jacob Stallings, Jacob Stallings is hitting much worse. Sean Murphy is hitting worse than Joey Bart. It's when you have the league wide offense this down, you, the catchers are going to be hurt. I don't know. Most of all, it affects everyone equally, but you're going to see it in the catchers more than, than other positions And catching all over the league is just miserable. And you know, you might get someone like Gary Sanchez, who's doing okay, but he's not necessarily someone you want behind the plate. I think he's playing more DH this year. So I don't think that there's an answer out there for the Giants. Even if they have soured internally on Joey Bart, uh, if they're saying the right things publicly, but even if behind the scenes you're going, geez, what do we do? I don't know if another team's going to trade them, I don't know, 2010 Benji Molina in the middle of the season. Yeah, I mean, the one guy who really is raking is Tyler Stevenson of the Reds, um, mm. you know, when when he isn't being treated like a human speed bump by Luke Voigt. Um <laughs> I mean, he's hitting 329, um, and he's also on my fantasy team. Um, I, but almost <laughs> I almost drafted him. Someone took him, and I took Joey Bart. Oh, it all oh, comes full circle. Oh, you could have them both. Um, but yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying, and and it's – yeah, it, it, it does seem like I wonder – if if there is um, eventually some sort of you know we talk about positional scarcity I guess as uh, when you play you know rotisserie baseball or whatever um, you know there's no pitching spot anymore in the lineup in the National League uh, there is quite a big um, advantage that you could mine if you have a productive catcher in your lineup uh, because a lot of teams just don't you know the nine spot is, is become the new pitcher spot with with a catcher off in there the big problem for the A's Sean Murphy hitting the way he's hitting is he's their cleanup hitter um, you know the, the Giants aren't relying on Joey Bart to be their cleanup hitter and that probably that's probably the gilded frame we need to put around this whole discussion that is a good point that is a good point uh, let me move on to discussion about the pitching staff and specifically I haven't wrote about this because there wasn't a delicate way to write about this. Uh, so Logan Webb was concerning me for a bit when he was not missing bats, when he was, his command was off. He was doing things like, uh, walking batters, uh, coming, walking batters and four straight pitches, walking batters after he got, after he got them down O2. He was doing all this stuff that made me go, gosh, there's something wrong, whether it's mechanically or I'm not sure. He looked fantastic against the Rockies, and that is, to me, the best part of a two-game win, uh, a series win, uh, I'm sorry, two out of three series win in Colorado. That was the best part for me, even in the loss, was seeing Logan Webb be Logan Webb. Yeah, I kind of felt a little bit bad because I had sort of pre-planned to write about Tyro Estrada at some point during the um, the series and uh, and his magical ability to score runs. <clears throat> but or cosmic ability to score runs, as Gabe Kapler put it, um, and I didn't do it after after they won um, uh, this, the second game because Tommy Listella hit a homer 464 feet, and you have to you have to talk about that, right? <laughs> right. So so I was going to write about Tyro pretty much either way after Wednesday's game. And, you know, it turns out that he gets on base four times and, and scores once. So, you know, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm like a degenerate gambler, you know, watching the, <laughs> the fourth team of my fourth team parlay every time uh, 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 Tyro Estrada is on base and score, make my angle stronger. <laughs> um, and of course he, he didn't. And I was, uh, yeah, so I was kind of, uh, you know, 
blowing on some dice in the press box, hoping that Tyro Estrada would score to help my story. Anyway, I digress. Um, I ended up writing about Tyro anyway, because you do this long enough, you find a way to, to sort of massage it. And uh, and that means that I gave some short shrift to, to Logan Webb. I basically just wrote that he had a good start and that was it. And he really did have a good start. And I think the, the biggest thing is that he threw his slider as his dominant pitch again. Mm. You know, he threw 41 sliders and 29 change-ups and 22 sinkers. Uh, and his changeup is a good pitch. I mean, he did give up a homer on it to Charlie Blackman to start the game, which is only the fourth homer he's ever given up on the, you know, 1,000 plus changeups he's thrown in his major league career. But, you know, he probably got a little too predictable throwing that pitch as he's trying to iron out his slider. And there was quite a lot of chatter. Uh, Evan Wiebeck of the Merck wrote a nice story quoting Webb and, and Andrew Bailey about, um, you know, how he's trying to get confidence back in that pitch and, and they seem to be encouraged that it was going in the right direction. And yeah, I, I think definitely that start at Coors Field is is, is pretty good evidence that that he's, uh, he's working his way back to looking a little bit more like the Logan Webb we saw last season. His velocity isn't down in the concerning, well, like, oh, jeepers, what is wrong? It's down. It's closer to where it was in 2020. It's not as, you know, he was pumping things regularly in the mid-90s last year, and that sinker was moving a ton. But I don't think that's where he's going to live. I think he's, he's going to sit 92, 93, and for... Him, I think it's just command. And you always talked about his willingness to throw it in the zone, trust his stuff for strikes. Can he still do that with 92, 93 on the sinker? Does he just need to have uh, a good shape, good command on all three pitches? What does he need to do to get back to Logan Webb of last year? Or was what he did in Colorado proof that he's basically that same dude? I wish I could tell you. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's a you frame that question really, really well. And you know, you could maybe um, you could maybe make the assumption that he doesn't have as much confidence in his two seamer since he's he's not throwing it as much. But uh, um, you know, I, his stuff has so much movement, and that's that's what 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 hitters talk about. That's what uh, you know, Kirk Casale has talked about. Is is just you know, it, it's just different. It's just different catching his two seamer and. You know, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he feels that hitters have made an adjustment to it or if it's if it's not quite as, um, you know, if it's missing an MPH or two and it's a little more hittable. Um, I, I, he, he said uh, he was a bit cagey when he was asked about some of the adjustments he made. He said he'd keep them to himself, um, which... Which I, I I used to be annoyed by that, but then I, I think, you know, why why are you going to tell me everything you're doing and working on? I mean, you know, it, it's nice. I like to write about that. I like to tell people what's what's happening, but I don't want to tell you to. It's it's like going down and, and opening up your Christmas presents at four in the morning. You know, it's uh, um, so I I've, I've stopped being annoyed by that, and now I I'm almost annoyed when players do give me too much. It's like, are you sure? Why why do you want to give this away? So um, it reminds me of the time that uh, I, I covered a Greg Maddox start against the Giants, which in, in which he threw like a ridiculous number of pitches, like 79 pitches in a complete game. He was with the Padres at the time. And I, I went to the Giants clubhouse first, and then I went to see if I could talk to Maddox after that because um, he just just mowed down the Giants in his, like, his last six or seven starts before that. And he'd already talked to the media, and so I got him after, and he was just like, you know, putting putting on his socks or something. And I asked him about his, uh, his approach, and he, he just kind of looked up at me, and he said, just brain-dead heaving out there, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 you are not. No, that's not what you're doing. I do not buy that. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's what pitchers should say, to be honest. I, I don't think they should give anything away. And and, and Logan Webb is, is obviously going to keep some of this under his hat. But uh, I think those are some really good questions to keep in mind going forward. It's just, uh, you know, what what does he feel is, is his two-seamer 
more hittable? Does he trust it? Is, is he thinking hitters have made an adjustment to it? Um, is it all of the above? Some of the above, none of the above. So um, that'll be a fun thing to watch going forward. Brain dead heaving out there. I think that's how I would describe my writing. I mean, really, I, <laughs> there is no craft in what I do. I'm just brain dead heaving. I like that. I'm writing that down. Um, all right. So let's talk to the let's talk about the Giants and the Padres or the Padres coming into town. Uh, we talked about Logan Webb, but the Giants will have their co-ace going in uh, the first game of the Padres series. Jacob Junis, uh, who is, if you go on the Giants baseball reference page, they have like these headshots at the top. It says top 12 players and it's by uh, war. And so the first one is Logan Webb with 1.4 war and Jacob Junis right there in the number two spot with one full war. Uh, Obviously, he's not the co-ace, but I'm interested in watching his starts now. He's pitched well enough in his uh, spot start duty to where I'm kind of excited about Jacob Judas, and I want to see what he does against the, the Padres. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's uh, it's wild. He's he's really pitched well um, this season. He's he's stepped in, and and I think that's probably they 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 didn't say this was one of the reasons that um, you know they sort of put Anthony DiSclefani on the 60 day injured list is their confidence in Jacob Judas. But I got to think that was. Uh, a factor in their decision is feeling good about, you know, what their coverage is. And, um, yeah, that was a pretty big decision to make. I mean, yeah. he's a guy they gave a, a, a three-year contract to and we're really counting on. And basically a third of his first season is going to be lost. I mean, he's not going to be back until at minimum uh, based pretty much the last week of, of June at this point, June 21st. Wow. So, you know, that was kind of something they slipped in with with uh, all the other moves that they made to start the series in Colorado with Tommy LaStella coming off the 60-day. And um, yeah, so that was, you know, that, that's a pretty big deal. And uh, I don't know if they make that move if, if Jacob Junis is not pitching the way he is. So, um, and you know, it's, it, you know, the Padres have had to muddle through without, um, uh, you know, Tatis, but you know, Kim has been played very, very well for them. Um, so well, in fact, that they you know hardly gave any playing time to C.J. Abrams when they called him up and they sent him back down to AAA, one of their top prospects. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you look at what the Dodgers are going through from a rotation standpoint and, and, and the way that they've had to weather a lot of injuries and their depth uh, has really been tested. And, you know, they maybe don't have as much depth as you might expect. And then you look at the Padres and they're getting people back, you know, and, and uh, I, I think that the Padres are still poised to be, you know, as big a threat as anyone in this uh, in this division. One thing that I that fascinates me about this series coming up is I earlier when we talked about the Giants and how they have depth and they've got so many players with an OPS between this and this and so many pitchers with an ERA or adjusted ERA between this and this. The Padres are the antithesis of that team. They have a couple of guys going bananas. They have Eric Hosmer just doing, he's in 338. They have Manny Machado playing like an MVP. Uh, Kim's doing well. And almost everyone below them is just hold your nose, PU. They are not doing hot. And in the rotation, it's Joe Musgrove pitching like a Cy Young and Mackenzie Gore looking like the second coming of Clayton Kershaw. And then almost everyone else beneath them going, oh, okay, not not so hot. And and the bullpen's like that where Taylor Rogers is up here. And then, oh, okay, there's just not a ton of guys doing great things behind him. They are just such a weirdly distributed team in their one game above the Giants, which shows you how well their best players are playing right now. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I think it's going to be a fun weekend series. Um, you know, and, and, uh, um, I was talking with someone the other day uh, about you know the fact that the Giants haven't seen a lot of the Padres, and, and we forget that they were supposed to open the season with them. And, and mm. one of those uh, series, you know, that series got shifted to the end of the year now. So 
Um, you know, normally we, we would have gone to San Diego by now, but still haven't and, and won't until I think maybe around July 4th. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to be fun to see how these two teams kind of stack up as the season goes along. And, and, and one thing I didn't really think about until just now talking through it, but you know, that would be three games without Tatis that they would have had to start the season. And now it's going to be presumably three games with Tatis. So that doesn't make it any easier, I guess. Wow. Well, you got to factor in that the Giants will have Tyler Stevenson as their catcher. <laughs> right. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> They'll, maybe they'll have Juan Soto. <laughs> right. All right. This has been episode 187 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. We will be back on Monday. Talk about what in the heck the Giants did against the Padres. And we hope to see you then. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.